Theology Thursday live. Here we are again. Um, day I don't even know what day it is of the of the bunkering in of the of the shutdown of the it's day one or two, depending how you want to look at it, of the socialistic takeover of America. Um, not that I'm getting political or anything, you know, but we just have to be aware of you know things that happen. Um, at times, we can learn from the past, thing, even things that might have happened um, a long, long time ago. You know, you never, never quite know. So anyway, been going around, and during this time of um, upheaval of, of um, galactic, at least global proportions, um, people are worried about things. People are um, interesting things happening. Saw a guy today on a video that was going around. I think it was New Orleans and uh, New Orleans and um, the streets were empty and he had on sackcloth over his regular clothes and uh, he was yelling out repentance, uh, repent of your sin, repent of your witchcraft, repent of your debauchery, repent of your you know sins, which you know that's a good good word actually but you know I don't know if we need to be going around in actual sackcloth uh, makes you look a little weird I think but maybe you know you're in New Orleans and you're kind of look weird anyway but I mean sometimes so anyway hi Christian um you know the way we dress and the things we wear sometimes can be an indication like even the bad guys can wear white or something you never never know but the guy uh he had the right idea I think he had poor execution um it's almost gimmicky, you know? So sackcloth and ashes, that's how the ancient prophets uh, went around calling people to repentance um, because those were clothes of mourning. So if we were to dress as if we were in mourning for our world or, or people, um, what kind of clothes would we would we wear? You know, when we go to funerals, we get all dressed up. So maybe you should wear a dark suit and then go around and, and proclaim that. I don't know. So anyway, I've been going around and proclaiming the good news of the gospel of, of Jesus Christ to people and seeing lots of other, at least pastors, hopefully other people doing it as well, where you're just in somewhere, you're, you're, um, out, out and about, you know, and, um, uh, can I pray for you? You know, simple ask, you know, is it okay if I pray for you? And a lot of times doctor's offices, dentist offices, uh, pharmacies, grocery stores, um, restaurants, things like this, where you see people are anxiously serving. Um, sometimes you don't see their anxiety, but it's underneath there. And so, you know, just say, hey, can I pray for your protection and well-being? And, you know, it's an interesting thing, because one of the things, too, has been praying and uh, proclaiming peace. You know, isn't it good to know that God's in control? I mean, you know, when, when bad things happen, you need to know, you know, where's the ultimate power and um, who has ultimate power, who is in control of things. Um, and so that's a, it's a, it's something to, um, to proclaim and to be aware of. So we do proclaim this and we do proclaim peace, but who are we pro proclaiming peace to? So I think um, proclaiming peace to the world would need to be careful that we aren't with the, um, was it Jeremiah who was saying the other prophets are proclaiming peace, peace, and there is no peace? Um, you be careful with that. So if we're talking to the church, 
or are we talking to the world? You know, so that's a question. Who are we talking to? Talking to the, the, the evil empire or the kingdom of God? Now, I know, Christina, if you're watching, that Carson has some weird cockeyed theory about the empire being the good guys and the Jedi being the bad guys. However, if you listen to them, you listen to them theologically, they all kind of come under bad guys, ultimately. Um, so, you know, the kingdom of God is a different thing. So when we're going about and we're in the world, and we're and I am or you are we are as believers trying to help there to be peace, try to help there to be calm, try to help people understand that you know God's in control. Now that is a that's a proclamation of the gospel, you know, partially. So if we talk about peace, peace, and there is no peace, then we're false prophets. So we have to be careful who we're giving this message to. So if we're talking out in the community and I see people who are anxious or and I just kind of throw it out there, you know, God is in control. Isn't it good to know God's in control? Um, yeah, and then it strikes up a conversation. And that and that conversation will go one of two ways. It's either, um, um, and have an attack. And we live in a, a certain area too. I don't know if you live in other parts of the country that this wouldn't stir up a, a different type of conversation, but what an easy conversation starter that is. Um, and so, you know, but the conversation does also need to come around to the idea of repentance, um, guilt, judgment, wrath of God, um, I don't know that necessarily right now with people, you know, fearful. It, you know, it's, it's we're in an odd place where I live right now because you know people are afraid, but they're not afraid. You know, it's like again, it's like the hurricane warnings, cone of uncertainty. The longer it takes to get here, the less you know afraid you can be. It's odd with this thing. So, um, but if we're proclaiming peace, we'll make sure we're proclaiming peace to the Christians. You're proclaiming peace to the children of God. You're proclaiming peace to those who know Christ as their Savior. You're proclaiming peace to those who have the gift of the Holy Spirit within them. That's who we're proclaiming peace to. But um, And not necessarily wellness. I mean, we pray for health. We pray for wealth. We pray for prosperity. You know, we pray for prosperity. We pray for these things. But at the same time, understanding, James says, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask to spend it on your sinful motivations. So I have to be very careful as believers that when we're praying for these things, that we have to underneath it all say whatever my God ordains is right. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane models it well sweats dripping like blood from his brow as I believe the sins of the world are even being laid upon him at that time and he's like father if it's possible that this cup shall pass yet not my will but thine be done so he's got this internal thing where he's like you don't want I don't want to go through suffering I don't want to go through and talk about the suffering he went through having the sins of the world laid on him I mean not just the the pain of crucifixion which other people have been through more painful things for longer but the the wrath and curse of God and the stench and nastiness of sin and its abhorrence to a holy God. I don't know how, I mean, if you just contemplate that at all, it's a, how, did, how does he, de I don't know, the thought of it would be horrifically horrible. So um, the proclamation has to be truth, though, where it's the flip side of the gospel there is good news but there's also there's wrath i mean there we live in a cursed world this virus is a result of sin um adam and eve sin in the garden there was um a curse placed on it judgment 
And so, but it's the grace of God that enables the world to continue for as long as it is. The Bible says that the reason the world continues for this period of time is God is being patient with this world um, so that there's time for more people to come into the kingdom. This is a time of of the preaching of the gospel where the, the ark is open. People are to come in. People are to leave the world. But there's, there's going to come a time when that door is closed. When, when One, when you die, I mean, that's it. After it's appointed, Hebrews says, it's appointed to man once to die and after this judgment. So you'll face judgment. It's by a holy God. And you'll stand naked and without excuse. Every thought, every word, everything ever uttered by you will be judged. Um, and that's not going to end well because the holiness is more than you can imagine. What a holy, perfect God is who will not judge just in wrath, but in holy, perfect, right, righteous judgment of wrath. So that's going to be the bad thing about it because it's not going to be wrong for him to do it. Um, so we're able to get mercy because of Jesus Christ. Jesus drank from that cup. Jesus said, for my people, punish me instead. For the believers, that's who I'm dying for. Um, so that all the believers in him do not perish but have eternal life. That's why God, that's how God loved the world. He sent his son into the world. Um, Franklin Graham has a commercial that um, comes on now. And it's a good commercial. But he does this thing where he says, um, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Um, and then he tells you to pray the sinner's prayer. And if you prayed that prayer, you know, these things. And he talk, in the prayer, he talks about um, the need for repentance. It's not a bad prayer. Um, but it is sort of, what do we think about the, the idea that to being able to proclaim to the world that Jesus loves you, that God loves you? Um, there's truth in that, but it's also some misinformation that may be miscommunicated in that, in that, how do we treat people we love? Well, we cut them slack. We give them grace. We give them mercy. Um, so there's a special type of love that God has for the church, that God has for people who have been adopted into his family. Um, for others, the wrath of God rests on you. Um, so when we look at, we're getting back to our um, our book. That's some good stuff today because this was coming up in my mind anyway, where it's like we do need to be preaching peace. I don't want to go out in the grocery stores and start yelling out, you need to repent, you know, unless they're like, bother me or something but you know it somehow in our conversation uh, we need to be able to get across the idea of not only is God in control you know it's a message for the church God's in control God loves you God's got this if if we, yet though he slay us we will serve him and we will honor him and we will praise him in the midst of a storm and through all the difficult things we go through we proclaim his goodness and we ask that he would keep us from sin we ask that he would keep us um, in faith we ask that he would keep us to be gracious and that he would allow us to um, suffer as godly believers who know that we are under his kind providential care regardless of what we go through and that when we die there's great reward and he will wipe every tear away from every eye. But in but we don't get the kingdom without tribulation. So we have to talk about repentance, the doctrine of repentance, the idea of turning from your sin and turning to Christ. And once one is in Christ, to continue this idea of, of repentance. So he's got some good stuff. So I was looking at this again. I know it's backwards on there, but it's the doctrine of repentance by 
Puritan, Thomas Watson, been in, written in the 1600s. Um, just kind of go through this. Um, the beginning. Uh, hit, last time we did this, by the way, if you listen to this on a podcast, um, like it, share it. Um, what do you call it? Subscribe to it. And so that would help me feel good about myself. All right. So um, where are we? This is removing the impediments to repentance. So removing obstacles to repentance. Um, because when if you do talk to somebody about repentance, there's going to be some pullback from that. One, men don't apprehend that they need repentance. Okay. So people don't get the fact that they even need to repent. I talked about these a couple of videos ago. Two, people conceive that it's easy to repent. So they can do it any time. It's just something, you know, I get around to it. I'll just repent. It's just a, it's a thing I do. It's a prayer I pray, and then I can do it. Um, he does a couple sub points. He says, a wicked man has a mountain of guilt upon him, and it is easy to rise. Is it easy to rise up under such a weight? And then two, he says, if all the power in a sinner be employed against repentance, then repentance is not easy. All right. If all the power in a sinner is employed against repentance, then repentance is not easy. And that's what the Bible talks about. Dead in our sin. We a, a natural man without the working of the Holy Spirit is not going is going to fight with with everything against repentance. So it's not going to be an easy thing. It's going to take the work of God in it. Three, presuming thoughts of God's mercy. Okay, so he's just saying God's merciful. I don't need to repent because God loves me. He's merciful and there won't be any judgment whatsoever. Um, but you know, you're like trusting Darth Vader to take care of you there. Um, I don't know if I said that right. No, take a retract that. <laughs> but you know, if you have a, if you have a, you're misjudging the character of God if you believe that. He loves everybody in the world in such a way that he will not punish the wicked and that um, he will not be glorified in that. So, um, four, a supine sluggish temper. I had to look up the word supine, S-U-P-I-N-E. It means to lie flat, um, to be weak, lazy, or sluggish. So he says sluggish next. So people, they would rather go to sleep he would rather go sleeping to hell than weeping to heaven. Okay, Sloth is a cancer to his soul. Um, when Satan has, by his witcheries, lulled men asleep in sloth, then he destroys them. So if you think all is well, there's peace, peace, and there's no peace, and there's no judgment, then, you know, they're a-coming. Um, five, the tickling pleasure of sin. Who had pleasure in unrighteousness? The tickling pleasure of sin. The sinner thinks there's danger in sin, but there's also delight. And the danger does not terrify him as much as the delight bewitches him. All right, so that's stuff we talked about last time. Now we get to these. This is number six, actually. An opinion that repentance will take away our joy. Now, that one got me because when I looked at it today, I thought, yeah, because I'm going around. I want people to, 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 you know, there is, okay, there doesn't need to be a complacency that nothing bad is going to happen. There doesn't need to be a complacency about such things so that so much that we put ourselves and others in danger. Um, but you do need, there needs to be a peace that's underlying it. We don't go around with anxious hearts like the world. That there, we, God's in control. God will protect us, our children, our families. And he loves um, our children more than we can. Our concern is for our unsaved, unconverted loved ones. And that's where our hearts would be. Um, 
But so when we talk about repentance to people, I'm trying to get people, you know, you want people to be have joy, but I'm saying, you know, if without repentance, turning from your sin, there is no joy. Um, he says here, Thomas Watson does, an opinion that repentance is going to take away our joy. Okay, so and I've had somebody tell me that. I mean, maybe you've had somebody say that to you before. It's like, I don't want to repent. I mean, I've had somebody just directly <laughs> tell me years ago, I don't want to repent because I'm enjoying my sin too much right now. I mean, they got it. Fair enough. You know, there's a, at least a person that on some superficial level understands what they're saying, but are completely deluded and don't care, which is even worse. So um, does repentance take away our joy? And he writes this. Worldly mirth, mirth's one of those old words we use around Christmas, I guess, but it's a happiness. Worldly mirth is but a feigned laugh. Okay, in other words, the, the, the joy of the world um, is like, you know, somebody, like there's a lot going on. They're coming for you and you're kind of like, <laughs> it's, it's, everything's okay. You know, it's kind of like that. So that's what worldly mirth is like. It has sorrow following at the heels. God's kingdom consists as well in joy as in righteousness, Romans 14, 17. None are so truly cheerful as penitent ones, ones who have recognized their sin, ones who recognize the joy and mercy in Christ. That's where joy comes from. Um, not, not, oh, I have to forsake my sin. No, no, thanks, guys. You know, I love my sin. And you're like, I think C.S. Lewis talks about it where it's like um, you're eating mud pies. And you and you don't get it. You don't understand that there's there's something better than that. Um, the oil of joy is poured chiefly into a broken heart. Um, God turns the water of tears into the juice of the grape, which exhilarates and makes glad the heart. He talking about alcohol. We should rejoice if not the re who should rejoice if not the repenting soul. He is heir to all the promises and is not that a matter for joy. And that's what we're teaching. That's what, you know, you want people to see in the midst of whatever they're going through, whatever trials, tribulations. It's like, man, th there's joy in the Lord. But it's the repentant heart that gets to experience and to understand that joy. Repentance does not take away a Christian's music, but raises it a note higher and makes it sweeter. So that's what the Bible, what Thomas Watson here says about repentance. It doesn't take away the music. <laughs> They, they could turn a phrase. It doesn't take away the music. It raises it a note higher and makes it sweeter. But Satan and the world and flesh wants us to believe that if I get rid of this sin, then I take away my joy. And it's, it's a lie, and we buy it. Um, seven, another obstacle to repentance is despondency of mind. Okay, despondency. I looked that up too to make sure I understood it. A state of low spirits caused by a loss of hope. Okay, it's a state of low spirits caused by a loss of hope. So another obstacle, obstacle to repentance is despondency of mind. You've just sort of you've given up. Um, and he writes, It's a vain thing for me, says the sinner, to set upon repentance, to, to try to repent, because my sins are so large that there's no hope for me. Um, our sins are mountains. And how shall these ever be cast into the sea, where unbelief represents sin in its bloody colors and God in his judge's robe? All right, now listen to that again. When unbelief represents sin in its bloody colors, okay, and God in his judge's robe, so unbelief sees sin as bloody, and yet God in his judge's robe, the soul would sooner fly from him than to him. This is dangerous. 
Other sins need mercy, but despair rejects mercy. You've given up. You've given up all hope. There's no, well, there's mercy. I don't even, I don't even want mercy. I don't even, it's just I'm despaired of life. Um, why should we entertain such hard thoughts of God um, that, that he wouldn't forgive us is the thing. Mercy rejoices over justice, the Bible says. We have some drops of mercy ourselves, so we can even have, be merciful some, but God's a father of mercies, so we should believe that he is merciful. Remember, great sins have been swallowed up in the sea of God's infinite compassions. Great sins have been swallowed up in the sea of God's infinite compassions so that he is ready and able because of what Jesus Christ did. No sin is greater than Jesus' sacrifice. So that's, there's excuses. The sinner looks for, and as believers too, we have enough sin still struggling within us that if we aren't careful, it can um, take our lives over too. We talk about can a, um, can a believer be um, possessed by a demon? And no, because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You can't have that. But you can be um, captured to do his will. You can be caught in a snare. The Bible talks about these things. And uh, lack of hope, that's a big one. Um, and then hope of impunity. Like, I, I, I get away with all this. Men flatter themselves in sin and think that having spared them all this while, he never intends to punish it. Okay, I've gotten away from it this long. They're not coming for me. I've been here for so long. The Lord indeed is long-suffering towards sinners and would by his patience bribe them to repentance. Okay, <laughs> interesting way to word this. He's saying um, that he is patient towards the sinner and by his patience, he's trying to induce them, give them time to repent. But here is their wretchedness because he forbears to punish they forbear to repent. So the fact that he holds back punishment, well, that just causes them to hold back repentance. And so that's that's not good. Know that the lease, the lease, like you lease something, the lease of patience will soon run out. The time set apart for God's patience is going to run out. There is a time when God will say, my spirit shall not always strive with man. And again, when you die after, you know, face judgment, um, a creditor may forbear his debtor, but forbearance does not excuse the payment. Okay, so um, you might be given a bunch of money by somebody, whatever government may be trying to do this stuff. Um, but you know, at some point you got to pay the piper. You know, at some point, you know, that comes from somewhere. If, if it's if it's all just printed, um, even it's, it's if just worthlessness. Well, there's still going to be a price to pay for things, and so. Um, you make sure that we are aware of the one who is in control and that we trust only in the Lord our God and we try to do what's right and take care of ourselves and our families. Um, nine, the next impediment of repentance is fear of reproach. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Gotta go back to this one because I missed this. Well, because we're talking about um, hope of impunity because he's, 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 he's been patient and therefore he's never going to get me. Um, he says this, the longer God's arrow is drawing, the deeper it will wound. Okay, so he's like, the longer God's, you know, he's patient, he's not letting that go. He's just saying, you let, you know, repent, repent. The longer you wait, it's like it's just being drawn back more and more because you're adding more and more sin. You're, you're, you're adding more, every day you don't repent, it's another sinful day. And when he finally lets it go, it arrow will go even deeper. Sin against patience will make a man's hell so much hotter. Um, 
And you know, it's like, do you want to go around saying that stuff in a grocery store? Somehow, we have to communicate the reality of what we see is judgment of God. Nine, last one. The next impediment of repentance is fear of reproach. If I repent, I shall expose myself to men's scorns. My friend's going to pick on me. Uh, the heathen could say, uh, when you apply yourself to the study of wisdom and prepare, prepare for sarcasms and reproachings, but consider well who they are that reproach you. They are such as are ignorant of God and spiritually frantic. Who minds a madman laughing at him? What do the wicked reproach you for? Is it because you repent? You're doing your duty. Bind their reproaches as a crown on your head. It is better that men shall reproach you for repenting than that God should damn you for not repenting. Burn. That's a rough one there. So I know when I quit smoking years ago, um, all the smokers would give you a hard time and tell you you could not that you can't quit. <laughs> it's just like they've tried. You can't do it. So I don't know. One of the things I say to people who say they're trying to quit smoking is you actually can do it. It, it is hard. It's very difficult. You need to pray. You need grace. Pray for grace. But, you know, eventually I have no desire to smoke a cigarette. Now, I know better than ever pick one up even because it might be funny or as a dare or something because, I don't know, if cigarette smoking was good for you, I'd be all over it. So, you know, we got to be careful with things. Ten, the last impediment. Oh, I said it was the last one. I was... I was incorrect, so I didn't lie. I was just wrong. Here we go. Last one. Last one. Number 10, the last impediment of repentance. And he says it, the last one. The last impediment of repentance is immoderate love of the world. You love the world too much. The world so engrosses men's time and bewitches their affections that they cannot repent. And how much more so from the 1600s to now? The world engrosses men's times and bewitches their affections that they cannot repent. They had rather put gold in their bag than tears in God's bottle. The farm and the shop so take up people's time that they have no leisure for their souls. Their gold weights hinder their silver, silver tears. Instead of dying repenting, they will die laughing. So that's a word for our day. So we need to repent. Um, kind of been talking about the problem with the American church because um, that's the country we live in and what we know of. And a few of the things I wrote and this other thing was um, worship of worship of children. <laughs> okay. Um, now people are talking about how sick they are of their kids being at home with them. But, you know, necessarily. It was because it's, it's true because we do worship one thing and then, but it's other stuff and, and we're just messed up of our affections. Um, the worship of um, health and look at that. Boy, that gets threatened and all of a sudden toilet paper's gone out the stores. Um, the worship of, of just knowing tomorrow's going to be it, yesterday, tomorrow, today. It's all, it, things will continue as they were. You know, don't disrupt my life. Don't cause the things in my life to be like this. You know, I need to be I need to be slow and steady, and then I've got everything under control. And I think what God has done is like, stop it. Stop it. You guys are gone crazy. It's like the Tower of Babylon. It's just like this is another opportunity for the world to get on its knees and say, We're wrong. There is 
something else, someone else. There is a God who is in control of all things. We do not have the answer to everything. The president can't can't fix everything. The government can't fix everything. Money can't fix everything. Um, only there's a God who can stop it all. And this is a time, this is a wake-up call. And so many of my friends, Christian friends, a, a common thread um, is we hope things don't get back to normal. Okay, we we want this to go away. We want there to be peace. We want them there to be health and and that people can live their lives, but not like we did before. Where we worshipped those things. That we need to be aware of um of the reality that this life is this life is but a whisper. This 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 fragile. It's, it's the all things are held together by the word of God's power. Any moment he can he can shake the foundations. And so the foundations are shaking. The bells are ringing. God declares from the heavens his glory and his judgment and his righteousness. So um, as we're proclaiming to one another and to the church peace um, and God is in control, remember when we're telling this to a non-believing world, it's a, it's also, it's a, it's a message of judgment and that we need people to, they need to repent of their sin. They need to recognize that, yes, this can all come crashing down. And on each head, it will one day. And it's appointed the man wants to die. Everybody's going to die. But the thing is, after that, there's judgment. You don't want to stand in front of a holy God naked and boastful. You want to stand before a holy God clothed in his righteousness, humbly submitting to his rule, and to his love. All right, there's, you can preach the gospel. You can preach repentance in a very loving way if you actually love and care about people. You just have to do that. Pray for the ability to. All right, praying for everybody to be well, praying for this thing to go away, praying for um, mostly the church to be strong in the midst of this, and we'll mourn with those who mourn, weep with those who weep, and rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, pray for your church, pray for your pastors, pray for the gospel, pray for your ability to be able to articulate um, the gospel in its fullness to people, and that many will turn to the Lord as a result of this. Okay. Um, God bless.